yet another episode of the Scary Hours Podcast. This is Samir Kumar joined with Matt Drexler. Man, what a week it's been for the Nets. You know, there are some things to like this week from uh, the entire team. You know, under man, you know, they they were out Kevin Durant and James Harden for the majority of this week. But, um, you know, they still pulled off an impressive win in New Orleans, you know, being undermanned. But um, the Toronto Raptors continue to have our number. And, um, you know, the Miami Heat, you know, that was technically Sunday, but that came down to the wire. What do you think, Trey? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like another week. Like, we can't go a week without – some sort of chaos it feels like right it's like durant finally comes back then he injures his thigh uh on sunday and he's out for a week james harden when it looks like he's about to come back maybe wednesday night and then he, he suffers a setback so it's like there's just so many moving parts all the time even the chris chio's injury is just another blow so it, it's never never like a steady week it feels like ever that's just the way the NBA season's been all season long. Lots of injuries across the league. Man, you know, the condensed schedule, you know, has been a huge topic of conversation due to that. So, um, you know, all we can do is hope for the players' safety throughout the rest of the regular season, do their part to, you know, stay in shape and um, get the proper treatment they need at the appropriate times. But, um, you know, Going on to James Harden, particularly here, he had a setback with his hamstring. Um, you know, that was very unfortunate news because he was zeroing in on a return to the court. People thought that he could he could have suited up either um, for the Pelicans game or the Raptors game down in uh, New Orleans and Tampa, respectively. But now he suffered the setback and there's a lot of talk that he might not be um, on the court uh, before playoff time. And I'm, I'm starting to like even more so the bigger picture is like we've talked about the Nets performance team. Right. And it's like one of the most highly regarded teams in all of sports, not just basketball. And now it's like you have the Kevin Durant injury. He got hurt two months. It was a lot longer than they expected. Uh, James Harden, somebody who's now suffered two step backs um, with the Nets and he's out until the playoffs. So it's like, you know. Is that something that has been what we need to reflect on even more so than the Harden and Durant injuries? Um, we don't know exactly what goes on behind the scenes, but it's it's a lot of question marks now, I feel like, around that. And and why, why has it been so difficult for these three to stay healthy all the time when the Nets performance team is acting like and is, has that reputation of being pristine? And it just they never seem to get these injuries right in timelines. Yeah, it's frustrating, you know, like it's just frustrating that they're not willing to give proper updates at the proper times, you know, when Kevin Durant, you know, seems like he could be closing in on a return. They um, just try to kind of keep it keep it low. And I think they keep it too low because it provides false hope for fans. You know, we want to see our players take the court, you know, be healthy and, uh, you know, for the long stretch, you know, be able to um, – bring winning basketball to the court and you know it's just not a good look when you just continuously keep fans and media members in the dark about what exactly is going on with these players and why they're suffering these setbacks and uh rushing James Harden back out there onto the court you know with his hamstring injury in that game you know a couple weeks ago it was actually um you know just uh it's just um 
mind boggled me how like he had to step off the court. Um, basically five minutes into the game, I was just like, yeah, they rushed him back. And yeah, it was, it was clear. Like he was rushed way too, way too yeah. early back to the court. And again, some of that probably has to do with James Harden, just trying to be Superman and wanting to be Mr. Consistent for the Nets. But at the same time, it's on the Nets performance team to ultimately make that decision. And it was clear they made the wrong one. For sure. And, you know, like you said, the Nets, they've been widely regarded as one of the best uh, medical teams around the around sports in general. That's a big reason why Kevin Durant signed with Brooklyn in the first place, because, you know, he had a rapport with the doctor, the team doctor out here in New York. And, you know, he performed he performed surgery on Durant's Achilles injury and I think a couple of others in the past. So, you know, given that the Nets had the reputation of having of having a top uh, performance staff. And, you know, it's just now there are questions around the entire, you know, the entire performance team as, you know, we uh, kind of closed down this season, you know, with multiple injuries is coming our way. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely um, something I think the Nets are going to have to evaluate. Right. And, and look at um, once the season is over, you know, you can talk about the condensed schedule and all of that definitely playing a factor in it. Um, but, you know, something still went wrong as far as this year and keeping guys healthy. But on the court now is the question, right? We talked about it all year. Will the Nets ever get sort of the big three, a consistent 8, 10, 12 games on the floor together before the playoffs to get some consistency? And the answer is looking like no. You know, Harden, if he does come back at some point in the regular season, It'd probably be only one of the last couple of games of the year. Um, so is this something the Nets should be concerned about heading into the playoffs that the big three won't get a chance to play together consistently until the playoffs start? Well, it's not ideal by any means or by any stretch of the imagination. It's never ideal to have any of your players, especially your star players, um, injured and missing any sort of time. You know, that goes first and foremost. But, you know, particularly if you're talking about it being a concern, you know, down the stretch, you know, and into the playoffs, you know, with all three guys, you know, not necessarily getting enough time in the regular season to figure things out. I don't really think that's as big of a concern as it's made out to be because um, in the games, all three of them have played together. James Harden has already established himself as the team's primary playmaker. He's okay with not putting up 20 plus points a night at this point of his career. He's okay with getting 10 to 15 plus assists per night and getting other guys like DeAndre Jordan, Nicholas Claxton, um, Joe Harris, Jeff Green, other role players involved and getting them comfortable. That's how James Harden racks up these assists. You know, he gets these guys in their spots comfortable and he knows the right exact time to um, find them in their spots. So Harden has, a, you know, he's... um taken this role as a playmaker in stride and it's uh carried over you know through the months of february february and march where he's one player of the month he did it a lot with his playmaking and that's how he got into the mvp conversation with his playmaking not his scoring obviously he had to step up with kevin durant out with his scoring but you know when kevin durant returns it becomes pretty much known that Harden's going to have to take a step back with the scoring and find Kevin Durant when Kevin Durant's willing to move off the ball. And as for Kyrie Irving, I have no concerns about him at this point. He's going to get his buckets. You know, he's going to do him. And especially when him and Harden don't share the floor, that'll be 
Kai's time to go out there and do what he does best. And he's always said the right things throughout the regular season. Any questions I've had about Kai, you know, coming into this big three have been answered, you know, just with his play and the way he conducts himself, uh, you know, in interviews. So I've little to no concern. What about you? Yeah, I think, I think their roles are pretty clear at this point. They know who's doing what, but the question is, can they play it at a championship level? Cause that's what, that's what they are going for, right? Like we know they can win games without playing together um, in the regular season. That doesn't matter. Um, and just jump right in, but you're going to have to be playing elite, elite basketball come the finals and the NBA finals and be a question, right? And I think that's where other teams look at the Nets and say, listen, we may not be as talented as them, but we're going to go into this series knowing that they don't have any sort of consistency playing together at all this year and we're gonna let's we think we can beat them because of that i think that's gonna give other teams confidence going into the playoff series is against the nets to try and beat them um so i i think while the nets may not be concerned about it i think it gives other teams a little a little a little glimmer of of hope to beat the nets and i think that's going to give them that extra juice to be competitive against brooklyn Oh, for sure. I mean, obviously, teams like the Philadelphia 76ers and the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, Miami Heat, you know, this season, they haven't been exactly healthy themselves. So in my eyes, I think they've kind of taken themselves out of being a serious threat to Brooklyn. You know, now they don't have Victor Oladipo. They've missed Jimmy Butler for a lot of games this season. That doesn't get talked about enough. And I feel like a lot of their their supporting cast, Koran Dragic and Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, haven't quite taken that next step in order to help the Heat kind of repeat themselves as a serious threat to come out of the East. You know, but in terms of Philadelphia and Milwaukee, Philadelphia does have more continuity at this point in the regular season than Brooklyn. You know, Milwaukee's always going to be there as a threat, but I don't quite think they have what it takes to get over the hump. They need another score or more of, you know, guys that can come off the bench and provide them some more offense. And, um, you know, obviously Giannis needs to finally show up in the postseason and expand his game more than just driving down the middle and slamming on people. He needs to, um, develop a jump shot you know so i think the bucks right there you know while they might take a couple of games i don't think they're gonna beat brooklyn but you know to your point you know i yeah philadelphia they do loom as a threat you know because they do have the continuity that you mentioned and uh you know it's gonna be a great series here's one thing i look at um for the nets that does go in their favor right is is let's say james harden comes back you know, the last day of the regular season or one of those, you know, that's probably an accurate timeline. Um, the play-in tournament this year is going to help the Nets because that is going to be about four or five days of time, almost a week where the Nets won't be playing. They'll be waiting for the play-in tournament to finish up and scheduling in order to play their first playoff game. So those four or five days are going to serve as almost a mini training camp for the Nets to practice and get those big three together and run through some things they want to they want to work out on before they head into the playoffs. So the one thing about this season that is going in the Nets' favor, I think, is now that new added play-in tournament, and that's going to be a crucial point for the Nets to try and gel. It's going to be a mini training camp, I think, that Brooklyn's going to approach that break as. 
Oh, for sure. And I also think that the first round of the playoffs, you know, it's going to be a lesser team in the Eastern Conference, whether it be the Washington Wizards, Indiana Pacers, Toronto Raptors, or um, Chicago Bulls, you know, or, um, you know, one of those guys, teams that, you know, finishes in the nine or 10 seed potentially, or the seven, eight seed. Um, it you could know. be Miami. It could be That's Miami. True. That's the one team. That's true. That's true. Yeah, if they match up with Miami, they could. They definitely cannot, you know, take it easy. But then again, if they face off against a team like Miami, that can still bring out their competitive spirit. It'll get them right where they need to be come playoff time. It'll get them hungry. They'll get them motivated. It'll get them, you know, to not have that mindset that they can take possessions off and take their opponent lightly. It'll force them to play hard and force them to play, you know, hold each other accountable, you know, in hostile moments in order to, you know, pull off wins. So that could actually be a blessing in disguise. But obviously if they take the approach where they play down to their opponent, you know, against Miami, you know, Miami has an open door right there as they try to, as the Nets try to figure things out. But um, if the Nets were to match up with one of the lesser teams in the Eastern Conference, you know, that'll give them, that'll present them an opportunity to kind of get their feet wet again as a group, you know, get each other comfortable, um, you know, and uh, identify roles as, you know, they move on towards the, uh, the deeper rounds of the playoffs. So um, I think, the first round, regardless, will present the Nets an opportunity to get things right, you know, for when the games count most. Yeah, and the Nets can really, like, they could almost play any of those teams right now that are the, currently the fourth seed all the way through the seventh seed. Those four, five, five, four teams are separated by a game and a half. That's the Knicks, the Hawks, the Celtics, or the Heat. So, so at the those teams, I think they just haven't played that well this year. We could possibly see a Knicks-Nets first-round series if they lose a couple of games here and drop down to seven. Um, and that's going to be another series where they're going to have to jump right into it and they can't take them lightly because of the energy coming from the Knicks fans, right, about still being bitter that Durant and Irving didn't come to the Garden and they went to Brooklyn they're going to want to win that series extremely badly. So another team that they could face in the first round that they're going to have to be sure to be ready for because they're going to come out come out firing. <laughs> but the Nets swept the Knicks this year 3-0. So the Nets already have the advantage right there, you know, and they already know how to play the Knicks. Obviously the Knicks, they – they had some close performances against the Nets. You know, Julius Randle was heated after game two of that series, you know, because um, he was called for travel when he felt like he wasn't called for travel. But that's besides the point. You know, the Knicks do present an opportunity to be that gritty team that can rain on the Nets parade and, you know, take over the city of New York. The storylines would be endless and insufferable if the Knicks somehow beat the Nets in a four-game playoff <laughs> series, you know, even what even w- currently are. Even one game, I feel like it would just be, you know, <laughs> we 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 beat you, like, you know, what they, they would they would hold on to that. And I think <laughs> I think maybe they could get a game, especially if the Nets are still just ha- coming from that long week off or whatever and everybody's still trying to mesh. So they could, they could, they could get a game and then they wouldn't let us hear the end of it, but it's going to be interesting to see how this all comes together here at the end of the year for the Nets. And it's, it's in the end, it is something you have to be a little bit concerned about because 
other teams are going to be thinking about it. The Nets are going to be thinking about it. Things like that are, are going to be in the back of your head. So I think talent is going to overcome everything in the end, but it's something that everybody's thinking about. And if you're thinking about it, then it is somewhat a concern. Oh, for sure. I mean, there was going to be that concern about chemistry, but I already feel like those questions were answered, you know, when they did take the court with each other. And let's not forget that Kyrie Irving and James Harden already have a feel for each other being a backcourt. You know, they both sacrificed their games to make it work. Um, Kyrie's taking the shooting guard role. James Harden's taking the point guard role. Those words came right out of Kyrie Irving's mouth. So they already had that uh, continuity and chemistry that they um, developed throughout the months of February and March. And, you know, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, they have their own chemistry. James Harden, Kevin Durant, they have their own chemistry. So these guys, you know, have their own separate chemistries. Now it's just about figuring it out, you know, as a collective group and just um, capitalizing on, um, you know, their strengths and weaknesses out there on the offensive end of the court. Now I'll also take a page out of the great Sarah Kustak, you know, the great color commentator of the yes network. These guys love each other. These guys want to see each other succeed, you know, and, um, you know, they truly care about one another. That's a big reason why guys like Blake Griffin signed on to play with the Nets because he saw something special and, you know, Obviously, Blake Griffin was a superstar very much in the days of um, when Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving were uh, superstars, you know, in the uh, 2010s. So, like, these guys saw an opportunity to finally join forces together, be the Avengers, and um, build something special in Brooklyn for the years to come. So, I think this has been something that's been in the works for a while anyway. So, they're going to naturally find ways to make it work and hold each other accountable behind the scenes. Yeah, I think those summer workouts in L.A. also help a little bit. Obviously, they're not the be-all, end-all, and they're not playing in an NBA game. But any at this point, any little practice time helps, um, considering how little they've played together. Um, but another storyline that kind of came into fruition here the last couple of days is Spencer Dinwiddie's return. Um, he did tell The Athletic, uh, recovery is going great, the ramp-up, to be able to play in a playoff atmosphere is realistic. Now we've known for months now that Spencer Dinwiddie has had hopes to come back to the playoffs in time for the playoffs or at some point in the playoffs. And now that's probably the most definitive statement he's made up to this point about a return. So one, do you think we'll see Spencer at all at some point this season and two, what would his role be? Cause obviously he's not going to be able able to play 35 minutes a night um so what what do you if he is able to come well personally i think spencer dinwiddie knows at this point of his time you know coming back from an injury like that with the um acl that um he's gonna come in and play a lesser role he's not gonna come in and be the spencer dinwiddie that um you know, we've been accustomed to seeing over these last few years. I think he's very much at peace with coming in. And, you know, even before they got James Harden, he was very much at peace with saying that I'm the Draymond Green of this team. I can switch one through five, you know, uh, on defense and contest shots. I think, you know, that's a very valuable weapon to have on the defensive end on a team that loves – 
to switch the ball around and the Nets ranked very well uh, in defensive rating when they had Dinwiddie on the court this season in the limited time he was there and um, it was apparent Dinwiddie's able to get into guys' skin, switch, use his length and I think that's where he's going to provide kind of the most value for this team uh, in the playoffs this season. Now, in terms of offense, I think you know he's going to come off the bench. He's going to be the team's, you know, maybe six, seven man, whatever you want to call him. And I think he'll thrive in that role. He'll be able to um, create his own offense. You know, he'll be able to um, run the pick and roll, you know, drive to the rim, you know, get his offense any way possible. We've seen him uh, score, you know, with the best of them. And I think that that won't change as he comes off the bench. And, um, you know, I think that'll also allow, um, Kyrie Irving and James Harden to both uh, take a breather when they need to. And then they can, he can even be on the court with uh, Kyrie and James, you know, for certain stretches of the game, you know, he can kind of be the de facto playmaker, you know, getting guys involved KD, you know, Kyrie, you know, Kyrie is a great catch and shoot guy too. You know, I think that gets a little um, overlooked, you know, Kyrie can catch and shoot, not so much with James Harden, but um, you know, I think Spencer Dinwiddie, will provide a boost for the Nets. And I think it is somewhat realistic to see him in the playoffs. Maybe not the first round, but um, if he can give like 15 to 20 minutes off the bench, you know, and be there in the most critical moments of the game, that's going to be a huge boost. Yeah, I think Spencer, like, I wouldn't expect him to come back until the conference finals just because they don't want to throw him into the fire when in those first two rounds they may not need him. Um, but more so it's just going to be one of those like sentimental great story things, right? Like I think you could see him come back. Like if he's out there, obviously he's going to need to play, but he's only going to be playing probably in like six minute spurts here and there in the conference finals and spelling guys. Um, so I think you can see that from that's, that's the type of role I see Spencer kind of having is like, you know, he'll be that mental boost of, all right, we got Spencer back. You know, whatever he gives us, whatever it is, if it's zero or one point, whatever it may be, that's that's a plus for us. And that's kind of how it's going to be. They're not going to ask too much of him, um, but it would be one hell of a story. Right. If Spencer Dinwiddie, um, the guy who is the only one left from that original Brooklyn Nets like rebuild, with the exception of Joe Harris, to be on the court and be a part of this, um, I think that's kind of what what would what the sentiment around it would be more so than him being able to give them anything on the scorecard or on the score sheet or on the scoreboard or something like that yeah spencer Dinwiddie, you know his box score is not going to be pretty it's not going to be 20 points eight assists so have you five rebounds whatever it's going to be more like maybe five points you know three assists two rebounds maybe a couple steals here and there you know it'll be small numbers you know but the impact he'll have out there, like you mentioned, like the mental boost, like, oh, we got Spencer, you know, that can still come off the bench and provide us a boost, you know, if we're struggling to find a rhythm or, you know, it's Spencer Dinwiddie, just, just his presence alone, be able to switch, you know, one through five, you know, just having him out there and somebody that can buy in on the defensive end, somebody that has that mindset that I'm this team's Draymond Green, you know, that's going to provide a, a huge mental boost in the conference finals or the finals, somebody that's already shown a willingness to buy in and 
change up his role. You know, don't forget that Spencer Dinwiddie took a pay cut to stay with the Brooklyn Nets, and you know he's he's seen his roles change many different times. You know, um, D'Angelo Russell came in, took over as the starting point guard. You know, but um, you know Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, took it in stride, came off the bench again after starting and um, still continue to produce. You know, Spencer Dewey's always shown that he's capable of producing whatever role he's in. And um, also on the flip side of things, just to see kind of um, how he's taken this whole rehab process in stride, you know, um, he's overcome a torn ACL already in college. And, um, you know, he's, he said in an Instagram post following his uh, more recent ACL tear that um, from his first ACL tear, he learned from that experience that, um, you know, he just got to do certain things differently in terms of working out diet. And, you know, he's done everything possible in his power to prevent another injury like that happening. And because of the hard work he put in um, this tear, you know, was significantly, um, significantly um less uh damaging you know it was a significant less damage to his acl this time around and you know goes to show that if you put in the work you know damage can be limited in some sort of way when something unfortunate like that happens so i do give my hat off to spencer dinwiddie for being a soldier throughout all of this and i would love to see nothing more than to see spencer dinwiddie you know on a on a championship bus during the parade holding up that Larry O'Brien trophy and um, doing it in a Brooklyn Nets uniform I would love nothing more than that yeah I think that would just be like a symbol of resilience to see that image of Spencer holding the Larry O on a bus with the championship hat on in a Nets uniform it would just be like something out of a movie right because you get that news the day after Christmas that it was like a partially torn ACL. So they're like, all right, there you go. Um, Spencer's out for the year. And then if he is able to come back and just be a factor in a championship run, um, that would be something so awesome to see. Oh, hell yeah. You know, and you know, me, you and I, we're going to produce that movie. If there's ever, if Spencer Dinwiddie's ever (laughs) interested in producing a movie like that, we'll be the producers, you know, we'll make it happen, you know, because Spencer Dinwiddie has embodied what a Brooklyn net is gritty, you know, someone that's going to come from the bottom, you know, literally, you know, G league, you know, was literally that breaking point for him is either make or break, you know, from the Chicago bulls when he was traded from the Detroit Pistons to the Chicago bulls and to see how he's fought back, you know, from that adversity, you know, I would just love it. Nothing more for that to come full circle and see how he sees that opportunity in Brooklyn and really, you know, establish himself as, you know, somebody that can be considered for the all-star game. He's heard it from Kobe Bryant himself, you know, before Kobe ultimately, you know, unfortunately passed away. But um, just to hear that come out of somebody's mouth, somebody like that's mouth, you know, goes to show all of that hard work that he put out there has paid off. And obviously we all know what Kobe Bryant meant to, to Spencer, right? He talked about how that was one of his idols growing up. So it's kind of really just a surreal moment for somebody that if you told him like five years ago, this is where he would be getting the recognition um, from, from one of the elite basketball players of all time, um, being a part of a championship team after it seemed like his basketball career was in danger. Um, that That's something that he wouldn't believe you if he told him that five years ago. So it just shows what a long way Spencer has come. And we're hoping for one more great, comeback story from Spencer before the season's over. Um, But 
One more thing we did want to talk about here on this episode is there was a tweet sent out by somebody on Twitter that was mentioning, you know, the Warriors and Steph Curry saying Kevin Durant was the best player on those Warriors teams and Steph needed another MVP to win. Everybody knows that and yada, yada, yada. And Durant liked the tweet from his main account. I'm sure he obviously meant to do it from one of his burners, but either way, like forget about the whole Twitter thing. It's like, it just goes to show that one, the sensitivity that Durant has around how people feel about him. But two is like, doesn't Durant know like Steph is like, you know, why did one, why do you care? Two, doesn't he know Steph is like the guy in Golden State? Like he'll, Durant will never be held in that same regard that Steph is. Like I, I think that's something that he just needs to come to, to realization with. For sure. I mean, Steph Curry obviously was drafted by the Warriors and, you know, they won 73 games, you know, the season before Kevin Durant came in and made that team even better, you know, obviously throughout the playoffs, Um, you know, but, you know, going back to what you were saying before, um, yeah, like Steph Curry established himself as the golden boy for the Golden State Warriors because two-time MVP, home, you know, drafted kid, you know, turned around that franchise, you know, with the help of, you know, a great supporting cast, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, you know, Steve Kerr. But it was Steph Curry that was the engine that ran that team. Without Steph Curry, the Warriors wouldn't have ended up being the Warriors. So um, Kevin Durant should know that he left his situation where he was the man in Oklahoma City and came to a team where, you know, he had to sacrifice and ultimately um, put, you know, any sort of pride or scoring titles on the side in order to win a championship. You know, now um, it's a little puzzling to me that, um, he he can't see it that way at this point of his career. You know, he still won two finals MVPs, you know. Um, he still was the best player on those Warriors teams. You know, that's that much is acknowledged. You know, he was the best player on those teams. But in terms of popularity within the Warriors franchise, it's always going to be it's always going to be considered Steph's team just because of what Steph has meant to that organization. I think um, that's something Kevin Durant, you know, like you said, needs to realize. And I think it's becoming more and more clear, like all those stories about Durant not feeling at home in Golden State, like it's starting to become more and more true. The more that time unfolds and the more that we see signs of it is like, you know, Durant, he liked winning. He liked living out in L.A. or the Bay Area out in California. He wanted to win championships. But in the end. I kind of am starting to believe it just still didn't satisfy him. He didn't get that satisfaction that he wanted. And he's hoping that the Nets are going to do that where it can be his team, right? And he winning championships with his team because it'll always be known as the Warriors plus Kevin Durant. And, uh, you know, Durant, obviously he wants it to be him being the main guy in Golden State. But again, he just had to know it's no matter even if he played 10 times to the level that Steph Curry played um it still was going to be Steph right it was still going to be him being the face of that franchise and so it's kind of mind-boggling a little bit to me why Durant is still kind of surprised by that but again more and more it comes out more I I do believe Durant just 
being in Golden State, it just didn't do what he had hoped he thought it would do for him. And he mentioned it in interviews that he thought that happiness would come from winning championships. But um, I think he realized during his time with the Golden State Warriors that winning championships wasn't the end-all be-all for him. It wasn't going to bring him the happiness that he was seeking because now, you know, you see people find a way to criticize him for um, joining the Warriors, you know, and try to discredit his rings. You know, that has clearly taken its toll on him. You know, you see it. That's why he's created burner accounts. That's why he responds to media personalities and fans alike. You know, um, he's insecure about that. And you can see that. So um, that insecurity, I think, um, at the end of the day, comes from fans and media alike and you know they push on they push the narratives onto great players that oh if they don't win a championship they can't be considered a top 10 player of all time they can't be considered one of the game's greatest of all time you know they're scoring titles you know what they put out there on the court you know the beautiful display they put out on the court each and every night just doesn't matter because they didn't win a championship. So I think um ultimately you know all those um things that have been thrown out around you know i'd say um that's the media and fans alike are a big reason to blame for that because they can't appreciate the greatness of the player they have to win a championship um on the team that drafted them you know or a team where they kind of came to came to rise on you know that's the only thing that really matters to people and when players go to a different situation where they see a chance where they can win a championship on a great team and you know sacrifice their game in order to make it happen you know that's not good enough for people because they looked at as um you know a traitor or they're looked at as soft or um you know whatever whatever the case may be for joining that situation you know you saw lebron james form his super team in miami and then you've seen um kevin garnett and ray allen join paul pierce in boston you know this is not a new concept super teams are not a new concept in order to win an nba championship so i think the criticism that has been put on to Kevin Durant in comparison to other great NBA players, either during his time or that came before him, started to weigh on him a little bit. And that's part of the reason why he um, does what he does on social media. Yeah. I think like to your point about winning championships and legacies is like, you can look at somebody like LeBron, right? If he won his two with the heat and then one with the Lakers, but he never did get that, champion championship with the Cavaliers like how would his legacy change you know what would people consider LeBron the greatest of all time or the second greatest of all time if he never did win one with Cleveland right I think the conversation about LeBron would be he always needed to go join somebody else to go win and the case is still true like he joined Kyrie and Kevin Love in Cleveland to win also but it's still looked at as him winning by him, not by himself, but he, him not joining, right? He, it was his own creation. And so I'm curious of like what LeBron's legacy would look like if he didn't win with Cleveland, because if he doesn't get that Cavaliers championship, then I don't think, well, one, first of all, he beat the greatest team of all time up to that point. So I think that is also helps his legacy, but it's just, people would be really, really on LeBron James if he never won a championship with the Cavs. 
And it's a damn shame because not every organization is committed to winning. You know, you look at the Oklahoma City Thunder during Kevin Durant's time there. They let James Harden go. They traded him. You know, they didn't want to pay him. You know, they preferred Serge Ibaka over James Harden. And, you know, if I'm Sam Presti, I'm looking here. I'm, I am want that back nine years later. I'm sitting here. I'd be sitting here being like, man, I really let an MVP type of player go. Somebody who's still getting it done nine years later. Like, no, like that, like if um if an organization is not willing to put it all in, you know, for their star players to ultimately achieve that goal of winning a Larry O'Brien trophy. Now, don't get it twisted. The NBA basketball and sports in general is a team sport. You need other talented players in order to reach the pinnacle of what it takes to win a championship. And LeBron James nearly a achieved you know that that goal with cleveland during his first stint there you know he brought a team of you know guys that weren't nearly as talented as you know other teams out there you know the talent that was on that Cavs team wasn't nearly as talented as the talent on the spurs team you know um but lebron brought that team to the finals anyway that's rare you know you can't expect that from everybody um you know and if an organization is not willing to build a team around the build, the best possible team around your superstars, why should they stay? And why should that player be criticized for chasing a new situation where they can achieve those rings and have those rings on their fingers and finals MVPs that'll ultimately get them into the conversation as a top 10 or 15 player of all time, you know? So um, I think a lot of the narrative around championships, you know, um, Oh, he's, tweeting on burner accounts oh um this and that you know it takes away from the fact that kevin durant's a great freaking basketball player the guy can score at will you know from anywhere you know he can drive he can pull up you know and he makes it look so beautiful out there look at the splits the efficiency he brings out there like why can't you just appreciate kevin durant as a basketball player like it's not that hard yeah it's so interesting right of of the the championship aspect of a player's legacy and i do think it's a factor but in the end i just have always you know you're ranking an individual player an individual player has nothing to do with or has only a small portion to do with a team for the most part right like you're not going to win a championship if it's just you you can go be the greatest player on timberwolves right now and it just wouldn't matter like the team is just not ready to win so I think it's important to consider championships when talking about an individual player's legacy, but in the end, it's just how good was the player. I mean, if we went, if we ranked by championships, then then Bill Russell would be the greatest player of all time, right? Like like uh, all all these others and and somebody and other players, you know, they would never be considered some of the greatest of all time just because because of their the amount of rings they won so it's just really the championship qualifier when considering who the goat is or a player's legacy it needs it needs to do a lot less with how we rank players because you're ranking the player you're not ranking the team 
for sure. Like, yeah, championships matter, you know, like you said, you know, it does matter to a degree, like, but a lot of times also the situation that you're in, like, you know, not every organization's going to build the right team around the their star player that's there in order to achieve that goal. So um, you, I feel like you can separate the player from championships. Like, you know, we're not going to completely discredit um, guys like Steve Nash, um, Allen Iverson, you know, Charles Barkley, um, I'm going to say it, Vince Carter, you know, and um, other great guys that have went, that have, uh, you know, played in the NBA, you know, that have given great contributions to the game of basketball, you know, can't discredit guys that haven't won a ring. Carl Malone's another one. I can't believe I forgot to say Carl Malone and John Stockton, you know, those two guys, are you, I mean, they've made the finals granted, but you know, are you really going to discredit their legacies to the game of basketball just because they don't have a ring on their finger? No, like, you know, they still brought winning basketball to the table each and every night, electrified fans, you know, and, um, you know, like, at the end of the day, like they're still going to be remembered as great players, regardless. Like, you know, just puzzling. Yeah, I mean, look at like guys like Sam Jones and Robert Ory, right? Like, sure, they're great players. They're they're basketball legends, but they're nowhere near top twenty five, top thirty players. So, if you want to use the championship thing, then why aren't they considered top five players of all time? So that's my issue with the championship argument, and I'll never use it as like, you know. LeBron has to win six in order to be past Michael Jordan on the greatest of all time. Cause that's just not, that's not evaluating an individual player. You're evaluating the teams they played on. So that's how I look at it. I mean, going back to the point of Durant, I still will not get how he just seems to not move on <laughs> from the warriors and what he so much craves wants to be um, what Steph Curry is to that warriors team, but he just has to know it's not is has to deal with and you know in the end there's nothing much we can say other than it's just something that he has to realize and and i don't know if he ever will no he won't you know and you know that's i guess something that um he'll have to come to peace with on his own you know nobody could do it for him you know these nba players you know they're human beings too they process things their own way you know they're flawed you know just because they're on the game's biggest stage you know and they make millions of dollars putting a ball through the hoop doesn't mean that they um don't process things like normal human beings and if this is something that kevin durant just can't seemingly move on from then you know that's um that's on him, I guess, you know, nobody could really force him to move on from that. But here's what I'm going to say about that. Um, you know, Kevin Durant, brace the hate, my man. Nobody makes fun of LeBron James as much anymore because I think LeBron has this kind of embraced the hate. You know, he doesn't respond to people too much that criticize him. I mean, he has his moments still, but like LeBron has gone out there and just kind of let his play do the talking and, you know, continue to do great things for society. I think um, a lot of people have kind of just come to realize that LeBron James is LeBron James. He's one of the greatest basketball players out there. Now, Kevin Durant, on the other hand, you know, he's giving people a reason to kind of talk down, uh, down about him, you know, his spat with Michael Rappaport, you know, um, using burner accounts to do things, but it accidentally leaks onto his own personal account you know um i can uh, kevin durant has every right to have the burner accounts he has every right to respond to fans that may negatively criticize him but he can do it in a way that's not vulgar he can do it in a way that's um you know 
kind of more civil. And, um, you know, if he took that approach, then nobody would blame him. Yeah, so it's it's just something that we'll have to see how Durant's legacy, I guess, if it changes at all in anybody's minds, uh, if he wins here with the Nets or if that brings him the satisfaction he needs. But it's, I should say it's, I think it's surprising that it's Durant is still bothered by all this. But then again, I can say I'm not surprised at all. It's just, you know, the writing's been on the wall for his whole career about how he feels about these type of things. So um, it was just just an interesting note that you brought up that I thought was very interesting. Um, but I think I do not have anything else for us today on this episode of the pod unless there was anything you wanted to get off your chest. Oh, I mean, just kind of want to ask you real quick, like, um, you know, when you're evaluating rings, you know, you look at Shaq, he had Kobe for three of them, you know, and you look at um, guys like Hakeem, you know, he didn't have the same type of help, but still won two rings. When you evaluate, you know, two players like that, do rings really come into consideration there? Or you kind of look more like their individual contributions to the game and evaluate from there? When I look at a player like their all-time legacy first thing i just look at is like during their time right how how good were they considered like was there ever a point where they were the best player in the world or they were amongst considered being the best and like a guy like kobe absolutely during at one point of his career he was the best player on the planet same thing for uh lebron he's been that for a while and i think durant kind of took that over in the 2019 playoffs but people just kind of forget because he's been injured um, you know, Jordan obviously was the best of all time at one point. Kareem was the best of all time at one point. Magic was. So those are kind of where I look at to start. And then from there, you I also look at things like MVPs, how clutch they were, uh, defense, all of that. And I think all-stars, all-NBAs are factors too. And then I, I will look at like things like championships and see how that factors in and how they played in the playoffs and things like that. Like Steph, I think he was the second best player at one point back in 2015, 2016. I thought LeBron was the best player in the world and Steph was number two. I don't think he's even top three or four. Uh, Well, this season now he's playing out of his mind, but uh, these last couple of weeks, but I think you'd put like Durant uh, and LeBron one and two and then you could probably put a Kawhi or an Anthony Davis if he was healthy or James Harden in that same level as Steph Curry. So I think he's dropped off a little bit. Um, just other players have passed him. But Steph, I think, was at one point the second best player in the world. So I would probably put him somewhere in my top 15, 16, 17 area. Um, so I look at that's kind of how I start to look at evaluating players. And then I'll add in the accolades and the championships and all that yeah no for sure um you know when it comes down to top 10 top 20 whatever you know championships do matter but i also kind of look at individual situations like i mentioned you know with Hakeem and Shaq. i mean i'm you know i don't have a strong opinion either way but i would totally hear out somebody that would say that Hakeem Olajuwon was greater than Shaquille O'Neal throughout the courses of their respective careers because um you know Hakeem won two championships on a lesser talented team. You know, Shaq had Kobe for three of his rings and, um, you know, then he had Dwayne Wade for his fourth, you know, so Shaq had more help during his championships than Akeem. So I definitely do look at those 
two situations and keep it in mind. Now, you know, in terms of their all-time ranking, you can have them as A and B or whatever. You know, I think they're on an even playing field because of Akeem's, um, you know, what he achieved throughout his career. Now, when you look at, you know, guys like past 20, 30 or whatever, if one of those guys had a championship due to a situation that they're in, you know, getting, you know, just kind of – um my personal perspective, you know, guys like, um, you know, obviously, um, I'll say, say it again, you know, Vince Carter, you know, he didn't have the help that Ray Allen helped, uh, got when Ray Allen was in Boston and Miami. So, you know, that plays a factor into my consideration for ranking players ahead of one another. I'll still have Vince Carter ahead of Ray Allen because Vince did more with the lesser talented team, you know, in Toronto, New Jersey, than Ray Allen, um, did when he was in kind of Seattle. Ray Allen didn't achieve the heights that Vince did when Vince was in Toronto, New Jersey. And then Ray Allen, you know, gets lucky and he gets traded to Boston, you know, and wins a championship there. And then he had the choice to side of Miami, gets another ring on his fingers. So when you look at that type of situation, you know, um, I think uh, rings become less relevant in terms of um, debating between two great players. Now, Ray Allen's a great basketball player in his own right. This is not to, um, you know, criticize him or anything along those lines. But, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, um, when you look at rings, it only really matters when uh, you kind of evaluate players like Larry Bird and Kevin Durant or – you know, guys that are in the top 10 because, you know, you look at championships, you look at accolades, then you also look at uh, what they did with the situations that they're in. So, um, you know, this is definitely a great, I feel like this could be a great topic of conversation we can revisit on another podcast. Yeah. I mean, cause like rings don't, when you're talking about how good a player was rings don't determine how good somebody was. There's some Carl Malone, like those guys, never winning rings, great all-time players that just never won. So it's like you can't put, you can't, you can't go by rings to determine a, a player. That's always been one of my biggest pet peeves uh, when talking about player rankings. Oh, for sure, for sure. But um, you know, I think uh, you know Dirk Nowitzki's one ring, I think, kind of catapults him over like somebody like Carl Malone because Dirk Nowitzki did that against a very, very tough Miami Heat team. Uh, I would say I probably still have Carl Malone ahead of, of Dirk, but Hey, I don't hate no. that. You know, no. there is an argument for that. So, I mean, Dirk is probably third or fourth best power forward of all time. And I think Malone is like locked in as being the second best. I don't hate that. You know, if that's an opinion that, uh, you know, I, I feel like a lot of basketball fans would actually agree with you that Carl Malone's the second best uh, power forward of all time. And, you know, I don't hate that because Carl Malone let his play do the talking. You know, he's still one of the most dominant players that was ever, you know, that ever manned the power, po- power forward position in the NBA. So, like, you know, like, I wouldn't hate that if somebody said, you know, that Carl Malone is in the second spot, the power, best power forward of all time because, you know, like you said, like he still went to the finals. He still dominated the NBA. Second all-time leading scorer. There's something that has to be said for that. For sure. You know, like, you know, and I mean, I think Dirk is close regardless. I think both of them, there could be a heated debate between who's better than who. But at the end of the day, let's recognize this. Both of them are great freaking basketball players, you know, regardless of rings, accolades, you know, both of them put on a show each and every night. And, um, 
did it with incredible longevity. Yeah, I mean, I, I probably would have Malone in my top 15, and Dirk is probably in the top 20. So I would say maybe only three or four or five players separate. them all time i think it close i would say yeah, in no. the all-time rankings yeah no i mean yeah definitely you know don't don't hate that evaluation from there both of them in the top 15 top 20 you know don't hate that evaluation whatsoever but you know you got anything else to get off your chest here drex uh i think that's it i'm i'm just hoping durant comes back tonight or or he'll be back Sunday I think I think he'll definitely be back Sunday if he doesn't play on Friday here um but you got to hope that James Harden stays healthy we need um honestly you need Tyler Johnson to come back here in the next week or so because we're down so many bodies at this point that even Tyler Johnson just being able to handle some handle some point guard responsibilities would be would be a big factor here for the Nets to just try and win a couple of games down the stretch and because so, look they've gone like three and three in their last six games they're not playing the best basketball right now yeah but legs are also tired you know it's hard to win 19 out of like 23 games which they did through the months of right. february exactly March, that's what i'm saying you know. like you know guys are tired everybody's short rotation so just getting guys healthy at this point durant and tyler johnson back just to have like a deeper team, deeper and more healthy guys is just going to be crucial for the Nets winning games here down the stretch. For sure. And, you know, I think that'll happen. I think, uh, you know, Kevin Durant, you know, luckily, you know, that thigh contusion wasn't anything more serious than that. You know, it was a contact injury. It happens, you know, to the best of us, you know, thankfully it's not going to sideline him for any more of a extended period of time. And hopefully we get Tyler Johnson back in. Hopefully Landry Shamit continues to kill it, you know, and um, you know, hopefully James Harden can uh, overcome this setback, you know, and be back for, you know, the last five games of the season, if not at least the playoffs. And, you know, I I'm still pretty confident in the Nets moving forward. I don't, I'm not really too worried about them. Yeah, and hopefully Mike James can clear uh, health and safety protocols because we just need as many bodies as we can get <laughs> to get healthy here. But um, before we sign off, as we as always, uh, if you want to join the pod at some point, just hit us up at the Scary Hours Podcast on Instagram. Uh, you DM us on Twitter. I'm at Matthew Drexler three. I'm at s underscore Kumar two. And just come on, send us your questions. You could tweet at us. You could DM us. You could. Um, ask to come on the pod or you can just ask a simple question and we'll be happy to answer it here on the pod uh, either way um, so we appreciate you guys listening to us we're at the scary hours podcast on spotify subscribe and listen um, but that's going to do it for this episode keep listening and uh, it'll be an interesting week here for the nets so we'll see how it all unfolds take care <laughs>